Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Luke chapter 9. Last week we discussed, if you weren't here you can check it out. Uh, If you go to the church Facebook page, you can find the, uh, the link to the sermon. You can go there and hear it. If you are an iPhone user, you can go to your podcast app, search for Fellowship Regional Church. You can pull it up there. If you use an Android, uh, we'll put you on a prayer chain. And um, we got a recovery class on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. You can join in. Specific to Android phones, the recovery classes. Um, uh, so you can go and you can check out the sermon last week's sermon. What we talked about was the disciples, Jesus had come to the disciples and he had commissioned them to go out and to preach the message to the surrounding area. One of the things we discussed was that these were the same guys who like at every turn, they question Jesus, they doubt Jesus, they fear for their life. And then Jesus takes them and puts them in the game. Like, no, you'll be a great shortstop. They're like, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be a shortstop. I'm not a good shortstop. You'll do fine. You'll do fine. And he sends these guys out there to preach the message, to be representatives. The sent ones is what apostles mean. He sends them out to be the representative. Now, let me just touch on this. You have to be pretty secure with yourself as God to go sending out a group of people like us as your ambassadors, right? That's kind of like sending your kids to work for you. You know, like, I'm not going to make it in today, but I'm sending my daughter. She's nine. Sure, she can handle it just fine. You're going to get fired. You know that, right? You're going to lose your job. Like, uh, she, she's nine. She can't teach history. She barely has any, you know? So Jesus sends them out. And so they go out. They cast out demons. They preach. They heal the sick. It's absolutely incredible. And so then they come running back to Jesus and they cannot wait to tell him, Jesus, you're not going to believe what happened. Jesus desires to get away and spend some time with just the disciples. To get away from that, the, the overwhelming masses, to pull the 12 away to a secret place and just sit and talk, to let them just talk about what has happened inside this ministry over the last however many days or weeks. But there is this crowd, this mass of people, and Jesus draws a crowd everywhere he goes. And they hear of the plans, and they beat Jesus to the destination. It says they met them where they were trying to go to this solitary place. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Which that seems funny to me, that they went out and they did all these things with the power and the authority that Jesus had given them, and they came back and they're like, you're not going to believe what I did today. So this guy with a demon, he's all like, eh. I was like, come out, you know, and he should have seen me. I was nailing it, you know. It's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's not that. But that's what I'm seeing. They reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them and with the, then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida but the crowds learned about it and followed him he welcomed them spoke to them 
about the kingdom of God and healed those who need healing. Two things, real quick. This should bring us comfort. Do you ever feel like if you're going to pray about things in your own life that are kind of personal to you, maybe, maybe you kind of put them in like a selfish category? Like, I'm going to pray about something selfish in my life. Do you feel as if maybe you're hassling God? Have you ever felt that way? Like, I hate to bother him with this. Like, it's so minuscule in the grand scheme of, you know, Christians are being killed, you know, in the, in the Middle East. And I'm here and I'm praying about, let me find a good mechanic, you know? My wheel bearings are squeaking so bad. You know, you got these things that come up in life and you want to handle them. I'll be with my kids. They're so naughty and I'm so impatient today. I feel like I'm going to bother the Lord. Do you see what just happened here? The unresurrected Jesus Christ, tired, exhausted, desiring to spend time with his inner circle, stops to take time to welcome the masses of people. Says that he talked to them, he welcomed them, and healed those who need healing. Hey, Jesus wants to hear from you. Let me take it a step further. You are not more noble because you don't bother Jesus. You with me? You don't get extra points because, you know what, you were a good son because you weren't bothering me all the time. You don't get extra points for that. Plus, that's weird, right? No extra points. The Lord desires to hear from you. He welcomes you. And if the unresurrected Jesus Christ, at this point in his life, is welcoming the masses... How much more does the resurrected Jesus Christ welcome our conversation? So much more. Second thing. Have you ever had days like that to where you are just emotionally beat to pieces? Work, job, relationships, whatever it is. And what you need, you're like thinking in your mind, I've got to get away. Like I got to disconnect. I need a long drive. I need to be on a creek bank somewhere. I need to be by myself. And then the kids need stuff, you know? You know how kids are? You experience any experience with kids before? Like they have needs and it's weird. Or you walk in the door and the phone rings or there's a knock on the door and you're exhausted already. You have nothing more to give. And so, hey, can I talk to you about something? This is the craziest thing. Or a friend calls, and they want to just pour out their heart and their soul, and they want to take the next 30 minutes to talk about garbage you could not care about. You're not in a good place to hear. And Jesus gives us an example here. He welcomes them. He talks to them about the kingdom of God. He heals the needs that they have. There are times to where I think our spiritual life suffers because we don't go that next step. We're tired, we're exhausted, and so we move into self-preservation mode. Okay, time for me to, you know, eject from all of a community. I need to isolate myself from everybody around me. I've got to have some me time. And I think sometimes what fills that hole, what fills that gap, what refreshes us is being back throwing ourselves back into the place and saying, I'm going to rely on God to work through me. I'm going to rely on these people here to nurture me. I will be weak in front of them. If I'm weak in front of them, then I will, I will allow God to work in their life and in, into my life. There are these moments, instead of isolation, which is common, you know? We isolate ourselves from people. 
we throw ourselves back into the piranha pit and we say, you know what? This is what I need. I need this. There are times that that, that matters. Let's go on down. Verse 12. As the day goes on, um, let's see here. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and they said, um, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages in the countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. The word is desert. They have been following Jesus all day long. They're in the desert. Okay? There's a picture being painted here. Are you catching it yet? They're in the desert. They've been with Jesus all day long. He's been teaching them and talking to them and nobody has eaten anything. This should take us back to the temptation of Jesus when, when he was in the desert. And Satan came to him and he said, I know you're hungry. You've been fasting for days. Look at those rocks over there. They almost look like loaves of bread, don't they? If I had your wizardry skills, you know what I would do? Turn them right into some pumpernickel with some butter on top. That's what I'd do. Turn them into bread. Jesus' response was, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. These people are, are following Jesus and they are sustained in their spirit because of what Jesus is teaching. That hunger and that, satis that satisfaction they've achieved in their spirit has overcome their physical hunger. The disciples look up and notice, hey, these people are falling asleep during the sermon. They look like they're pretty tuckered out. Maybe we should get them some food, send them on down the road. Let's get them somewhere else. Maybe there's some selfish motive in there. Plus, I'm tired of dealing with people. I don't know that, but I'm just wondering. Let's get them off somewhere else. It's very good. The disciples notice the needs of other people. <laughs> Jesus responds. <clears throat> Verse 13. You feed them. Right. I mean, because that's what you do. You give them something to eat. They answered Jesus. We already thought of that. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go buy food for all this crowd. And then Luke adds this editorial note in verse 14. Look at it. About 5,000 men were there. About 5,000 men were there. We need to jump off the sermon for just a minute. And we need to have a fist fight in the driveway for just a second, and then we'll come back to the sermon. Why in the world is it important that Luke mentions there are 5,000 men here? Well, most commentators would say this. Bible theologians, researchers, they would say this. To say that there was 5,000 men is to suggest there's probably as many, or let's be conservative, half as many women. So the numbers begin to rise. Well, then there's also children. So the number continues to go up. If we're just going to be conservative, let's say there's 10,000 people there, not just 5,000 people there. But there could have been even more. That makes the miracle even more powerful. But honestly, honestly, if you're going to feed 5,000 people with a Lunchable, or you're going to feed 10,000 people with a Lunchable, I'm impressed either way. Right? 
You can take the number and keep taking it up. I can't believe you got to 5,000. So to jack the number higher and higher and higher, I'm like, uh, you, got, you had me at hello. You know, you, ha- you had me. You had me. I'm there. I'm, I'm bu- I bought in. This takes me to a more practical place, though. This takes me to every single bit of research that I've done, that I've looked at, that I've read, says that women occupy 61% of church attendance in the United States. 61% of the people going to church on a Sunday morning in the, in, in the United States are women. 60, let me say it one more time. 61% of the people going to church on Sundays are women. There's a gap somewhere. If you want to look at our culture, you want to look at the brokenness in our culture, much of it can be attributed to absent fathers. Spiritually neglectful fathers. In Africa, the poachers begin to hunt down all the big bull elephants. They're coming at them for the tusks, the big ivory tusks. And so they're killing all these old school elephants. What that left was a bunch of pubescent, punk, teenage male elephants and no father figure over the top to regulate them. These young bull elephants, as they grew up, grew more and more uh, frustrated when they started getting to sexual maturity. They became even outrageously frustrated. They began killing and mashing the crops of the people who lived throughout the area. But that wasn't even the worst part. They started attacking the white rhino. Well, if you know anything about animals, then you know we really got a whole collection of white rhinos. We shouldn't be letting elephants kill them. We don't want these things to go extinct. So we got to kind of protect them. They said, what do we do? And then somebody had this genius idea. Let's transplant some big old bull elephants and let's see if we can't regulate these idiots. They went and they found 10, 15 of the biggest bull elephants that they could find. Helicoptered them in, put them on a bus, train. I don't know how they got them there. They put them there into this same place. Do you know what immediately happened? Of course you do. Because when daddy comes home and you hear his belt unbuckle, little kids straighten up, right? Y'all remember that, right? Your dad's home. You wait till your dad gets home. Oh, that's not good. That's not good at all. Someone's going to get licked with that thing. This is not going to be good. Immediately, the elephants stopped killing all these other things. They stopped terrorizing the crops. The big bull elephants moved in and disciplined these young bull elephants, and everything smoothed over. And the guy was an absolute genius who thought of this. They, they just couldn't believe that it worked as well as it worked. There were 5,000 men who followed Jesus out into the desert. It didn't look like Sunday morning to where there's all these women walking into church and then about five feet behind them are these dudes who are going like this. Not like that. 
These men led their families into the desert. Yes, I know it's hot. Hurry up. We're going to go see Jesus. Come on. Stop complaining. Get the sand out of your shoe. Okay, come on. You want to piggyback? You know what? Stop complaining. Get her. Spank her. Spank her. Come on. Let's go. To go see Jesus. That's how, we, that's how they did it? 5,000 men. There's a perception about church and that it's soft. It's part of the reason men don't like to go. It's true. There's a perception that church is soft. It's partly due to people like me. The Christian leadership of a lot of churches. We get very passive. We don't want to cause a stir. We don't want to upset the ladies uh, that do the... Uh, the, uh, the potluck dinners. No, we don't want to hurt people's feelings. So we back up, we make people happy, and we stop doing the will of God. We start caring about what other people want instead of what God wants. And it's to the fault of people like me. Other preachers, elders, deacons, and churches all over the country. They just grow weak and tired of fighting. Somewhere, something's got to change. Let me make a plea to the men here. The kids in our community and in our church need godly men. They need godly men. We can say all day long, the future of the church is the youth, but that's not true. If the church doesn't exist, the boys are never going to come back. If there's no men here, then there's nobody to chase after. There's nobody to put on a pedestal. There's nobody to look and say, I want to be like him when I grow up. And so they will stop coming. The youth is not the future of the church. The role has already been carved out and made, and it is the role of men inside of the church. Ladies, you're knocking it out of the park doing your job. You're doing great. We're the ones that slack it. Our community needs men, godly men, in the church. Our kids need it. Your little girls, dudes, if you've got little girls, you want godly men in your church, and you want them to raise godly sons. If this is going to be the pool they're picking from, I want more godly men here. The leadership of the church changes over time. Some of you men who are in here, some of you men who are in here, you have to be thinking about what is going to be my role in the church in the future. What do I do? Am I elder material? Do I need to volunteer for something? Is there something that I can do? What do I need to do to step up my role so that I can be an example? Do you not think that the youth group, Luke's youth group on Wednesdays, that they don't need solid men? Absolutely do. They absolutely do. This youth group is like 40 strong on Wednesdays. Let me point something out. There are more fun youth groups to go to than Luke's. Oh, I promise you. Am I right? There are more fun ones to go to. They're playing games. They're drinking soda pop eating crackers, 
They're not studying the Bible. They get to hang out, do whatever they want to do. There was a lot more fun. They take better trips. They get to order pizza. Luke, they come in here, they play a game for 15, 20 minutes, and then Luke lectures for 45 minutes. And listen, youth group kids who are in there, I'm not kidding when I say this, and you can, you can, you can validate this. It's like college-level stuff, am I right? It's like college-level stuff. It is no messing around. Why do they come? Why? Because there's three or four or five other youth sponsors, men, who show up here, and they check them all the time. You want kicked out of youth group? Better mind your business. Get yourself in order. And you come in here on a Wednesday night, and you can hear that happening. That's the truth. Hey, 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 hey. Be quiet. Calm down. We're doing something. Studying God's word. Pay attention. Why would they come back? Because that says that somebody cares. Absence of fathers is part of the degradation of our culture. Absentee fathers. Something we have to look at right here. 5,000 followed Jesus into the desert. What's my problem? I don't even want to make it here by 1030, right? They're marching in the desert. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Back up to verse 13. Wait, what? You give them something to eat. Yeah, we already did that. We found one of those cans of tuna with the crackers included. That's what we found. That's it. That's all we got. Jesus says to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to the disciples. He looked up, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it. One more time. He looked up, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it. Here Jesus is, insurmountable odds. He's got uh, bumblebee tuna and a pack of crackers in one hand, and he's got 5,000 at least hungry people on the other side, all of them sitting in groups of 50. Is that, if we're just dealing with 5,000, is that like 100? Like 100 groups of 50, right? Is that what we're dealing with? I'm bad at math. Okay. All right. So no one else wants to do the math either. All right, so anyway, this is what you got. Got all these groups of people all mapped out here. And then Jesus says, it says that he took it and then looked up. He has a, an amazing amount of lack in his hand, right? Would we agree? Lack. And he looks up. Do you know what I do when I have an amazing amount of lack in my life? I don't look up. This is what I do. Ugh. I can't believe how much I don't have. Is that you? I don't ever go like this, like, oh, look at all the lack. <laughs> it's not me. I'm all like, <laughs> Jesus takes it and looks up. Not this cat. I'm always staring at it like, how am I going to get some more in there? Uh -huh. Stare at the lack. Not Jesus. Took it 
and he looked to heaven. Held the lack and looked to heaven. Do you immediately kind of feel like the pressure of all of it just kind of go away when you think about that? What do I need? I don't know. He's going to have to put it there because I ain't got no more. Like, you have to do it. He looked to heaven. Listen to this. Listen to this. And then he gave thanks. Oh, heck no. That's not what happens with me. I give him thanks. I might, I, might do, I might say other things that aren't thankful, you know, sounding. Lord, come on, man. I've been working hard. You ain't even give a brother a break. You know? That's how I feel sometimes. And Jesus looks up and gives thanks for what he has, the lack. Ah, I don't like this part. I don't like this part because it makes me feel bad. Because I get to that place to where when I lack, I stare at my hand and how much I don't have. You know what my next tendency to do is? This. Hmm? If you lack and you sit and you stare at the lack, you know what you then do? You become very, very protective of what you do have. Well, I gotta be careful with this. Somebody will get it. I don't want anybody to get it. I, don't, I can't. I wish I could be more generous, but I just can't. He takes it. He looks to heaven. He gives thanks. And then he uses the international sign of generosity. Breaks it. If you go to the grade school, and you go eat lunch with the little kids, there's this really funny thing that happens there. And they're not supposed to give, they're not supposed to trade food. They're not supposed to share food. They get in trouble for it. But every once in a while, if you look around, you can watch, and here's what happens. Somebody's over there, and they're like, my mom made them. My mom made them. And they're taking them, and they're looking around like this. They take the lunch tray. Slide around underneath the deal. Why? Because they cannot wait to share. Why? My mom made them. So good. My mom made them. What's up? My mom made them. And they share every single thing that they had. Jesus takes it, looks to heaven, gives thanks. He breaks what he has and he starts giving it away. Listen, if you're not ready to part with what you do have in your hand, I guess the question should be, should you have it in your hand? If you're in a place to where you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to share this or not. Now listen, I ain't talking about chainsaws. Dudes, don't loan your chainsaws out. That's a bad, that's bad altogether, all right? That's okay. That's off limits when it comes to the Bible. You ain't got to share a chainsaw. The brothers turn that thing back into y'all broken to pieces, you know? Once I made that mistake. Once. No, you can't borrow my chain. I'll come help you cut down your tree. I'm not good at it, but we'll make a mushroom. But we can, I'm not. I'm not loaning it to you. It's not happening. Why? Because you break, because it's bad. I ain't ready for it. It's different if I break it, if Jesus takes it and he breaks it, but if I give it to you and you break it, I'm not happy, you know? And he takes it and he breaks it and he gives what he has. Now, here's what gets really, really cool. Everybody ate and they were, here's the word, satisfied. Look at this verse. Taking five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He broke it. 
And he gave them to the disciples and to set before the people. They all ate and they were satisfied. Greek word satisfied, gorged. You know the feeling, right? Gorged. Thanksgiving? Ugh. Like I ate so much it's messing with my lungs. You know what I mean? Like I ain't even breathing right because uh They, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. 12 baskets full of broken pieces. Now, all theologians will tell you this. Oh, my goodness, that's a sign. Okay. Because 12 tribes of Israel, and then Jesus made 12 extra baskets. My question immediately was like, did Jesus not know how to regulate the miracle power? You know what I mean? Like, whoa, overshot that one. You know, I was doing the math in my head and I thought there was more and I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But like, there's a bunch of questions there and theologians all come back to, this is important because Jesus made 12 baskets. And when you say 12, 12 tribes of Israel, but I go to a place that's different. This is where I go. A minute ago, our problem was we don't have enough food, right? And now our problem is we got too much food. And by the Greek word, we know these are big baskets, Okay. Now, let's forget about the 12 tribes of Israel for just a second. Let's talk about a minute ago when we were like, we had a Lunchable, and now I got to carry this big old basket. How many baskets were left over? How many disciples were there? Including Jesus makes what? 13. Who's not carrying basket of food? And those 12 are, right? And so they came and they got nothing for the people. And when they leave, now all these guys are like, Man, this is stupid. How long we got to carry? <laughs> right? How? This is heavy. I didn't even know how much tuna fish is in this basket. Just all looking at each other like you had to say something, didn't you? Now look what he did. Now 12. Jesus just like, come on. Come on. We got we to gotta hurry. He's just okay. Oh, this is a part I hate too. Because here's what happens. Have you ever prayed for something and then you got it and then you complained about what you got? Have you ever desperately needed a job and then you got the job and then you're just like, ugh, I hate my job? <laughs> hmm? You ever been lonely? You ever been lonely? Like, oh, I just, dear Lord, just send me somebody and then they send you somebody and you're like, somebody else? <laughs> right? Am I right? Dear Lord, just give us children. That's what we want. We just want children. Just, just send me a baby. They're like, are you, how many, how many diapers do I change of yours a day? Weird, isn't it? The Lord shows up. He gives from the provisions of heaven. He overwhelms us with gifts. And all we can do is be like, you could have at least made it lighter. I mean, you could have made him where he's just not so dumb, you know? There's a reason that the Lord gives you a big old basket like that to carry. It's not so you can complain about it. If you begin to look into the basket that the Lord has had, that, has, that he has you carrying, and you look what's inside of it, my guess is most of that stuff you ask for. It wasn't long ago, I was praying, praying for my oldest daughter. And my prayer has been since she was born, and I don't know why this was so important, but it was so important to me. 
when God becomes real in your life and he moves you and he, and he takes the scales off your eyes and he fills your heart with the spirit and it just, and it just becomes real to you and it's no longer like a, like a prosthetic limb. It's real, like it's a part of you. It's in your fiber. And when you see that and you experience that, you want other people to experience that. And for me, I want my children to experience that, the realness, the connectedness, face-to-face -face with God, mind blown. So I'm praying. God, forge a real relationship with Allie. Just forge a real relationship with her. And don't talk to her about this, okay? When you see her, don't talk to her about it. Because she's, she, she, she's 13, she don't want to talk to you about it, all right? But so she's dealing with some scoliosis stuff. And we're not sure what we're going to do with it. And it's kind of an aggressive case. And so I'm praying to God and I'm saying to him, heal her, man. Heal her. Like, make it go away. Make it better. Like, this is what I want from you. Just heal her. We're not seeing any improvement. Just heal her. We just wait and wait and wait. Lord, and I'm praying. I'm getting frustrated. I'm growing angry. And then one day I'm up in my office and I'm praying and I'm really, really kind of PO'd at God because he's not doing what I'm <laughs> asking him to do. He's in charge and I, I'm not apparently. So I'm saying, Lord, this is what I want you to do. Take this away. And just as clear as a bell, not, not, not audibly, but it just rings out in my person. You tell me what you want then, Jared. Do you want me to forge a relationship with her or do you want me to do this differently? You want some of these? My mom made them. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Because this is the avenue that I'm choosing. My bad. I'm in. Most of the things inside that basket are things that I've already asked for. Most of the things inside your basket that you're lugging through the desert, complaining about, you ask for. Stop. Pull the lid off. Look around inside of there. Here would be my next advice. Then look to heaven. Give thanks. Break it. And give it away. 